Hello, and welcome to another episode of Streaming Science, a creative, student-run podcast series from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We bring the science directly to you. The goal of Streaming Science is to increase science literacy through interactive discussion with scientists about topics that affect your everyday life. I'm your host, Emily Hergenreiter, a junior environmental studies major with an agricultural and environmental sciences communication minor. I focus this interview on what it is like to be a woman in a science field and what obstacles or hardships women go through to become scientists. Joining me today is Dr. Jenny Dower. Dr. Dower holds the degrees of Master in Science in Natural Resource Sciences with specializations in Human Dimensions and Applied Ecology. Thank you so much, Jenny Dower, for joining me today. I'm great. Thank Good. you. Start by telling me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. I've been working at UNL for almost four years, and my job here is mostly in science education, both um, teaching science and doing research on how students learn about science. And I've been working in that field now for about seven years. Um, but before that, for my PhD and my master's, I did research in ecology, and I was studying how nutrients like calcium and nitrogen cycle through forest ecosystems um, through plants and soils. So I've gone in different directions, um, and I was trained as a hardcore scientist, work in the field, and also chemistry work at a bench. And now I really enjoy being able to work with students and think more about how to get students excited about science and to learn it more effectively. Amazing. So what do you do here at UNL? I teach an introductory course called Science and Decision Making for a Complex World, which is a (laughs) very lofty sounding (laughs) title of a course. But the idea is to help the students, and these are students who are both both science majors and non-science majors, um, think about how science can be important for their everyday lives and how science can be important in solving really big world issues and complex things like right now we're talking about water use in Nebraska and how we decide on water policy. And science plays a big role in that. And I think the more people understand about a science topic like water use or about our energy systems, I think the better we will be in the long run for solving these really complicated problems. So the course has some of those goals to help people understand how to find good information and and apply that information to decisions that they could make. So what would you consider a good source to find information about water systems? There's a lot of um, reputable and trustworthy sources of information out there. And I think maybe part of the problem is that there is so many sources of information Mm -hmm. that it's hard to figure them all out. And there's definitely technical scientific information in peer-reviewed studies and things like that that everyday people don't often access. But I think it's important for them to know about it and know how scientific scientific information gets out there for um, scientists and how new scientific knowledge is discovered over time. Um, so that when they're reading articles like in a magazine or in a newspaper, they can be more critical in thinking about, you know, is this good information that was created through a system of peer review that allows them to understand whether it's coming from a trustworthy source or not, or was this 
just information that was produced by an organization that might have a conflict of interest mm -hmm. or um, is trying to get you to buy something yeah. <laughs> or buy into a certain point of, point of view. So I think it's also about a particular source of information that I want students to understand, but more about knowing what kinds of questions to ask about the information that they consume. Give me a little bit of a background of your education. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you get to the place that you're in right now at UNL? <laughs> That's a really good question. It's And it's probably a longer story than you would care to hear about. But um, I go all the way back to high school. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, and um, in high school, I was really interested in lots of different things. And I was probably more interested in the humanities at that point. And I was interested in literature and English. Um, but I also enjoyed the sciences. I went to a really um, rural high school. So I think there weren't a lot of opportunities in science. There was you know two or three science teachers. And and I didn't get, get the opportunity to take um, AP biology courses and things like that that I kind of wanted to do, but I didn't get a chance to. And I had really great English classes and AP English and things like that. So I um, went to my undergraduate degree at Penn State University, and I started off undeclared, and I was considering comparative literature as a major. And I, for general education requirements, had two science classes that I needed to take. And I took my two science classes, and I was sort of like, wow, is, is that it? Like, is that all I'm ever going to really get to really, really understand about science. Mm -hmm. And so I think over my first freshman year, I decided that I wanted to be a teacher. So I changed my major to secondary education. And I can't remember, I might have at first thought English education, but eventually settled on biology education. And so I actually I had to end up making up some science courses and doing some remedial science classes, even though I had done really well in science in high school. But I'm really glad that I did that because I still love literature and I still love reading and I still love the arts but I can kind of do that sort of on my own time because it's something I love. Um, but science is complicated and, and difficult to understand and, I, and challenging, so I think that um, I'm glad that I had that foundation. I think at the time, too, I thought I'd really want to be able to understand science and then do something with it. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a teacher at a, in a high school, but I knew that that would be a good background to set me off to do a bunch of different things. So I tried out teaching at a high school level, and I hated it. <laughs> so I quickly moved on to a few other jobs in formal education, and then eventually went back. And I had done a summer experience doing my own independent research in a lab at Penn State, and I actually Actually went back and I talked to them about graduate opportunities and turned out that they had an, an, op an opening there. So it was really like people that I knew and through experiences that were almost a little bit random. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this lab worked on the roots of trees. My master's was sort of oriented around root biology, and it was looking at different tree species and their ability to take up calcium. And it was sort of looking at you know how different trees are kind of calcium lovers or don't need as much calcium to grow, and the implications of that at an ecosystem level. Um, if more calcium is in tree biomass, then there's more that's sort of brought to the surface in leaf litter decomposition. And then if organic matter is removed, if it's logged, or you know if there's a big change or disturbance in the ecosystem, that can change the dynamics of the ecosystem and what trees might be growing back in there as well, so kind of comparative physiology of tree species. And then I went from there into a lab that did a little bit more of a focus on soils and calcium availability in soils at Oregon State University. And after that degree, I found a PhD to be extremely challenging mm -hmm. <laughs> and realized that the topic wasn't necessarily, actually I knew this going in, the topic wasn't necessarily my passion, but again, I felt like if I got a degree in science, then I could do a lot of different things with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't 
wasn't sure what that looked like when I was finished, but I was willing to take the chance at it. And focusing on a PhD that's not necessarily your passion is not something I would recommend to other people doing because yeah. it, it made it very difficult, I think, to, to get through that experience. But I did, luckily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, did you have any, through that process, did you have any motivators, role models, people that were helping you yeah, through that process? Definitely. I think that I actually had a big personal change when I was doing my master's. And on this project, there was a woman who, looking back now, I think she was probably in her late 30s or early 40s, who was a scientist at University of Minnesota. And I remember meeting her and thinking, wow, it's really cool. This woman who's relatively young and she's doing this whole career thing and she didn't have kids at the time, but she was trying to have kids. I realized at that point that I didn't have a lot of women role models who Mm -hmm. were scientists. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made me think a little differently about what I could do Mm -hmm. to to meet someone that I could relate to who was was doing that as a job. Um, And I really struggled trying to decide if I was going to go on to get a PhD or not. And I think I wouldn't have done it if I didn't meet people like her who had done it. Mm -hmm. And it helped me visualize myself in that role as well. So I thought that that was really useful in some sense, too. So I started dating my husband towards the end of my master's, and he was working on a PhD. And I think a little bit of me was feeling a little competitive, too. Like, if he's getting a PhD, I want one, too. You know, I don't (laughs) want to have a lower education level than the person that I end up with. Yeah. (laughs) So in a lot of ways, I have to say that he's sort of an inspiration to me as well and was encouraging and supportive through the whole process. Mm-hmm. And then I think at a certain point, it's just sheer stubbornness and feeling like, wow, I already sunk in this many years of my life into this. I have to finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, and um, before I finished my PhD, I moved to um, Michigan where my husband was doing a a postdoc position. And I started working part-time in a a group that was doing education research. And that's where I think I finally figured out what my passion was. And I think also seeing that, yeah, maybe doing ecology research wasn't my passion. And at the point I was thinking, maybe I need to not do academics. Maybe I need to do something else and think more broadly about my future career. Having that experience where I was working in an academic setting, doing research, but it was on something that I loved. Mm-hmm. I really, I thought that was a really important experience for me to have in order to be interested in staying in academia. <laughs> Besides your personal difficulties to stay in the science career, maybe because you didn't pick based off of your passions, mm-hmm. right, for your PhD, what barriers do you feel like you overcame? Mm-hmm. Did you have any barriers? Did you have any obstacles throughout your process of yeah. education? Yeah, I definitely think I did, and I think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I think part of what made it difficult for me to decide what I was going to do is um, that I came from a family and religious culture that doesn't really support women going into a career. Most people in that cultural group, women stay home with children. And they may have a career, but it's a bigger focus is on staying home and being a mom. Mm-hmm. And so I struggled personally for a long time about you know what I wanted. Um, and I think my parents were very concerned about me because I didn't get married until I was in my 30s. And they wanted, you know, they they envisioned envisioned a life for me where I would get married younger and start having children early on. And so I think with each decision, like to go on to get a PhD and then to pursue a faculty position, I think I had family pressure that was like, well, why are you doing that? Why don't you just stay home and have babies? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Although now, I mean, they're very proud of what I'm doing and they um, see how happy I am now and they're very supportive. But I think that was maybe somewhat of a barrier in terms of me just like thinking 
about what my life could be or what the expectations are for me for my life or what I really want out of my life. Mm-hmm. That was one. And even larger barrier is just how hard it was, yeah. <laughs> how hard graduate school is. It's mentally and emotionally and, and sometimes physically just very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but life as a faculty member, I think, is less challenging than it was as a graduate student. So, <laughs> so I'm glad that I stuck with it. And I, I'm really happy with the job that I have now. And I, I think it's a really rewarding and interesting job. So looking back on all the challenges, I feel like I'm glad I did it. And I can see the payoff now for doing, mm-hmm. for doing it and going through all of that. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like any of those barriers or the school, anything uh, was more difficult due to the fact that you were a woman pursuing a science career? I think if it was, I, I didn't realize it at the time. In my field of ecology, there are a lot of women who are um, pursuing graduate degrees. There are a lot fewer women who are faculty members. But I do know that I made a conscious decision to go from a subfield of ecology that was centered around plant physiology um, and switch to a few field that's more biogeochemistry or ecosystem ecology, looking at the whole system and nutrient siphoning. Because when I would go to conferences, it felt like it was a lot of older men <laughs> who were doing the physiology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it was like a younger crowd and more women who were doing the uh, ecosystem ecology. And I don't know how conscious I was of that, but I just felt like, wow, this feels more like a home for me or a place I can fit in or a place where I can see myself being vocal or having questions or mm-hmm. having friends. Um, so I think there were definitely things like that that played a role. And I know that women were important to me to have as role models during my PhD. I had deliberately chose two women to be on my committee because they were women. (laughs) But I also thought it would be um, important for me to to be able to to talk to women because I I felt more comfortable talking to women about problems and I found them to be much more approachable than even my advisor. I don't know if I necessarily felt barriers because I was a woman, but other than being able to see myself as a, a researcher or as a scientist by having good role models was really something that was important. So do you have a family now? I do, yeah. (laughs) I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old named Max. So how is balancing work and life? Is that difficult? It can be at times. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is. It feels very busy and and exhausting at times, Um, but better than I imagined it was going to be. Another great female role model of mine at Michigan State I remember having lunch with her at one point, and and she was a mom of three children and a uh, faculty member in the education college of education. And she said that explained to her that I wasn't sure about being a faculty member and whether that worked with a family home life balance. And she said, well, in some ways it works really well because it's very flexible. In a lot of ways, you make your own hours. You know, you're mm-hmm. responsible to get a certain number of things done, but you're not really punching a clock, and no one notices. You know, if you have to go somewhere, a lot of the stress I think of an academic job is um, in your head. <laughs> in some ways. And she pointed this out really clearly. She's like, you know, if you were a lawyer um, and you make a mistake, people could lose millions of dollars. Like, wow, that would be stressful. Or if you were a doctor and you made a mistake, someone could die, you know. And, um, and in academia, it's if you make a mistake, your reputation is on the line, <laughs> um, which I think can be stressful. But only if you make it so, you know, if you can take everything with a grain of salt and if you can um, be humble <laughs> mm. and, and if you really enjoy what you're doing, it can be an amazing job 
um, and I think it um, I can spend time with my child when I want to um, pretty easily um, as long as I really focus on just doing the important things around my job and treating it like a job limiting my hours of work uh, when I can be at home instead or be with my son instead so if you were to talk to a 13 year old girl mm -hmm. who might be passionate about science might know nothing about it what would you give her for advice hmm well I have two nieces that are about that age that both have interest in science actually so um, I think I would tell them just to go for it <laughs> like you know if they're really interested in it to let their interests lead where they go and not to worry about what people say or to or just to know that it's okay to fail sometimes and that doesn't mean that they should quit I think it's too easy for us to feel like oh I didn't do a good job and then to walk away but I think it's through those experiences where we realize that something is challenging to us or that we're not quite good at it yet those are the opportunities for growth and those are the times when we can um, really um, do something satisfying when we see a change and we see all of a sudden that we, we get it, we understand it, or, or I couldn't do that before, but now I can do it. I would encourage them to think about challenges as opportunities rather than as uh, barriers. And, and if they're really passionate about something, they should just absolutely go for it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Do you have anything else that you would like to talk about yourself today? Hmm. Talking about yourself is always kind of fun. I know. <laughs> um, I don't think so. I think the main thing is that I, I really think that despite a lot of people's perceptions of academic jobs can be a really satisfying place for women who are interested in having a family and having a home life balance. But I think um, they, but I think the things to look for are um, departments that would support that kind of, of a lifestyle and finding ways to be comfortable in your own mind about <laughs> what your achievements could and should be as a scientist or as a person in academia. But I think it's a wonderful place to, to be and I'm really glad that I have this job and that I stuck through it and had the opportunities I did to, to get where I am now. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I think that that is all I have for us today. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Jenny Dower, for joining us and to all of you for tuning in. To listen to more streaming science podcasts, go to soundcloud.com slash streaming hyphen science. I'm your host, Emily Hergneider, signing off and have a beautiful rest of your day.